The following is a memorial service in loving memory of Dr. Meredith G. Klein. It took place at Westminster Seminary, California, at 10 a.m. on Thursday, April 27, 2007. The welcome was given by the Reverend Dr. Scott Clark. The opening prayer by the Reverend Dr. Michael Horton. The devotion by the Reverend Dr. W. Robert Godfrey. A remembrance from Reverend Mr. Owen Lee. And the closing prayer by the Reverend Dr. Brian D. Estelle. Good morning. It is great to see you all here. And I know I speak for the family when I express their appreciation for your willingness to take time out of your schedules and to come and join with us and to remember Meredith and to give thanks to God for his ministry in our midst and for his faithfulness and for God's faithfulness to us in so many ways. As we gather this morning, we're going to try to keep things moving and, and each of the participants will simply um, do what they are uh, assigned to do and uh, announce hymns and the like and we'll try to move through this in the time allotted so that we can keep to our schedule. I, I just wanted to say uh, one thing before uh, inviting Dr. Horton to come and, and open us in prayer and that is to read a, a bit that I received from John Meather this week uh, by email. He told a brief story and, and I'll just read it for you. I thought it was appropriate. He said several years ago I met a PCA pastor who had graduated from Gordon-Conwell in the mid-70s. This is when I had attended uh, Gordon College, so we exchanged pleasant memories of our experiences. When I asked him about seminary life, he proceeded to describe each of his professors, and he was remarkable, remarkably particular about uh, what each had taught him. Roger Nicole had instructed him on the significance of definite atonement. Richard Lovelace had taught him to love the Puritans, and Gwyn Walters impressed upon him the importance of pulpit rhetoric, and so on. He continued down the faculty, in each case mentioning a very specific feature of his instruction. The longer he went on, the more MGK grew conspicuous by his absence. I was feeling uneasy. After all, Klein was not universally esteemed by the students at Gordon-Conwell. Finally, I asked him a little sheepishly, did you have Klein? Oh, yes, of course, he replied. And what did you learn from him? Well, Klein taught me how to read the Bible. Let's pray. Our Father, your servants have told us of your marvelous works. We have heard of your triumph in the seas and on dry land, of your victories over the enemies of righteousness, and of your covenant faithfulness to a thousand generations. Through your prophets and apostles, you have taught us to sing a new song in all the earth. And in our own time, O Lord, you have raised up servants still who have committed their whole lives to attending this word, hearing, meditating, studying, and exhibiting the glories of your marvelous works. At this time, we especially remember your faithfulness to us and to your whole church through the ministry of our reverend father and brother, Meredith Klein. As he learned from you the marvelous deeds that you performed among your people Israel, fulfilled in our Savior, Jesus Christ. So he taught us, and so we are able to teach others. Grant to us the fruit of your spirit to make the most of what we have learned from Dr. Klein and to tell others 
of your marvelous works. All of this we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who with you and the Holy Spirit reigns forever. Amen. Please stand. And we will be singing, uh, Be Not Far Off, For Grief Is Near, in the book of Psalms for Singing, number 22C. Please turn with me in the Word of God to the Epistle to the Hebrews, chapter 7. Beginning our reading at verse 11 and reading down to the end of the chapter. Hebrews, chapter 7, verse 11. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, What further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah 
And in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. On the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced, through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath, but this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. But the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. So far the reading of God's word. We're gathered uh, together today to remember the life and to mourn the death of Meredith G. Klein, our professor emeritus of Old Testament. Uh, many of you here knew him as a distinguished scholar, exegete, theologian, writer, and servant of Christ. Some of us had the privilege of having him as a teacher and hearing his profound, fascinating, and challenging lectures. I was privileged to have him as a teacher and to count him and his family as friends for 40 years. I chose to read Hebrews uh, 7 today because it speaks of matters central to Meredith's life and work and actually sounds a little like Meredith. <laughs> the writing is compact and rich, connecting Old and New Testament in fascinating and helpful ways. Uh, Meredith helped us read the Bible better. And he helped us understand the work of Christ better. I hate preachers who weep in the pulpit. He understood and communicated the message of Hebrews 7 and helped us deepen our understanding of Christ, the better priest, the perfect priest, the final priest, perfect 
in his abiding holiness. Perfect in his indestructible life. Perfect in the continuing efficaciousness of his once-for-all sacrifice. Perfect in the life he continues to lead of intercession for his people. Uh, those themes of, of priesthood fulfilled are themes we find richly taught in the writings and the lectures in the life of Meredith Klein. Uh, he helps us see Jesus as the better covenant, the perfect covenant, the fulfillment of the covenant of grace, the covenant that brings to his people the perfection that could never be found under the types and shadows of the old covenant. And Jesus is the better hope for his people, the hope of a perfect salvation, complete in the Savior, and the hope of nearness to God. You notice how Hebrews 7 speaks of that, the privilege of coming near to God, to, to enter, as chapter 10 talks, the very holy of holies into the, into the presence of God, no wall of separation remaining, but through the flesh of Christ, through his life and death and resurrection, brought into the very presence of God to fellowship with him. And Meredith understood these things in remarkable ways. He believed these things. He taught these things. And for those of us who uh, knew him a little more personally, he lived these things. Uh, I first met him in 1967 when I was a first-year student at Gordon-Conwell. And his older, oldest son, Meredith, was my classmate in that class. And so I got to know his son, and through his son, and through worshiping in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, then in Hamilton, uh, I got to know the family. And uh, not only was uh, Meredith uh, a profound theologian and a wonderful lecturer, uh, but he was a kind friend, a generous friend. Uh, when in the winter of 1968, my wife and I were snowed out from our home in uh, Rockport, Massachusetts, the Kleins uh, took us into their home and uh, showed us uh, hospitality for several days. Um, Grace taught my wife to make cinnamon buns, and I've always appreciated that as one of their most lasting legacies uh, to me. Uh, I still bear the fruit of that in my body. Um, uh, but there was a remarkable kindness uh, to Dr. Klein and to his family, and uh, uh, we, we saw that in, in any number of ways over the years. Um, and I was struck as a student, continued to be struck when I had opportunity to experience it, particularly with his prayers at the beginning of class. I hope some of you had that opportunity to hear his prayers uh, at the beginning of class. Um, they were prayers both theologically profound and remarkably personally intimate. Uh, there was never anything perfunctory about the prayers of Meredith Klein uh, at the beginning of class. Uh, you felt he was drawing near to God at that moment of prayer, and he drew you with him. Uh, the, the theology that he taught of Christ as a better priest, of a better covenant, ministering a better hope, was not just a theoretical matter for him. It was intensely alive and real and one could see it and experience it in those prayers as in so many other ways. Uh, and now that hope 
is fulfilled and his faith has become sight and the fullness of the glory cloud could be described better <laughs> even that it has been in the past. He now enjoys that eternal Sabbath rest with his Savior. And we rejoice uh, in his life. We experience the sadness of parting. And we thank God for the life and the ministry of Meredith Klein. But even more, we thank God that he pointed us so faithfully, so helpfully, so effectively to Jesus, our better hope. Let us pray together. Well, Lord our God, we are thankful that throughout the history of your church, you have raised up teachers who have, through the careful study of your word and through the faithful teaching of that word, uh, have helped your people understand more deeply and richly the work of Christ and the privilege that is ours to draw near to you through him. And we thank you for your servant, Meredith Klein. We thank you for what he has meant to your people, uh, to the church, to this seminary. Uh, we thank you both for the uh, uh, profundity of his insight into your word and the faithful, loving character of his life. And uh, we pray, O oh Lord, that his legacy of insight into your word would live among us that it would continue to help us to draw near to you, that it would continue to help us to understand Jesus as our better priest, our better covenant, our better hope. And may we, O oh Lord, live in hope to honor you for all that Meredith did. He sought to bring honor and glory to you and to help your church understand the greatness of the redemption accomplished in Jesus Christ. So bless us, O Lord. Bless us to be a people who continue to live uh, by faith and by hope in Jesus until that day when we can see him face to face. Hear us, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I'd like to call now upon um, the Reverend Mr. Owen Lee, alumnus of this institution in the year 2000. Um, kind of a millennial alum, um, pastor of New Life uh, Presbyterian Church in Burbank, California, PCA congregation, who will bring uh, remembrance from a student perspective of the life of Dr. Klein. Those of us who had the privilege of being the students of Professor Meredith Klein remember a lot of things. He was an unforgettable character in many ways. We all remember his vintage, tan, leisure suit, which he wore every time he lectured. We just assumed he must have had multiple identical suits because he wore the same thing every time. We remember the massive illegible scribbles and the pictures of eschatological submarines on the chalkboard 
that he tried to pass off as diagrams and charts. We remember him being covered from forehead to fingertips with chalk dust by the end of nearly every lecture. We remember the strange new words that we learned in his class, words like upper register, intrusion, and indoxation. I still don't know what that means yet. And words that needed not one but two hyphens, words like glory spirit cloud. <laughs> and we remember thinking, why is Klein so unclear and so hard to understand in his writing, but so clear and so persuasive in his lecturing? We remember Professor Klein pulling out old napkins and small scraps of faded paper, which he used as lecture notes. And as Dr. Godfrey mentioned, we all remember how he used to pray before every class. His prayers were so deeply devotional and heartfelt, and they would bring a quiet reverence upon the room. We got the sense that worship was about to begin, not just a class or a lecture. But I suppose that was only fitting, because every time Professor Klein taught us the scriptures, our hearts burned within us, and we found ourselves worshiping the God that was revealed in the scriptures. But what we students remember most, and for which we are the most grateful, is this. Professor Klein unlocked and opened the Bible for us. He showed us the glories and the treasures of God's word like we have never seen before. And he helped us to understand the Bible. For the first time, the Bible, the whole Bible, began to make sense and come together. Even the scary stuff in the Old Testament, like the brutal and ruthless conquest of Canaan, stuff that I just wanted to ignore, began to make sense as they took their proper place in redemptive history. Professor Klein showed us the big picture of the Bible and its dramatic movement from creation to consummation. A good friend of mine and a fellow student of Professor Klein said this, Klein explained the flow of covenant history from creation to the fall to the promise, followed by the two-level fulfillment of the promise, first typologically in Israel, then anti-typically in Christ. Klein also explained so many of the strange things about the Old Testament, like the destruction of the Canaanites, the scary laws of the Israelite theocracy, and why the exile had to happen. Professor Klein was a teacher of God's word in the truest and fullest sense. He not only taught us the scriptures, but he did so in such a way so as to make us love and cherish the scriptures. Though his voice was soft and meek, yet the words he spoke, they were among the most majestic, the most glorious, and the most gracious we had ever heard. We remember how he captivated and even expanded our imaginations, how he made our hearts burn with love for Christ, and how he made us zealous to defend the gospel, and how he compelled us to lift our eyes from this perishing world and to fix our gaze and our hope squarely upon the eternal and imperishable inheritance that is reserved for us in heaven. Professor Klein had a godly disdain for worldly glory and for an earthly inheritance. He desired a better country, a heavenly one, 
in his life and in his ministry, he looked forward to the city that had foundations, to the city whose architect and builder was God. Our beloved teacher did not die or pass away. Oh no, Professor Klein has experienced the first resurrection, and he is now both a citizen and a resident of that heavenly, eternal city. He is even now rejoicing with a joy inexpressible as he beholds the beautiful face of the one that he loved and served while he was with us. And one day we will join our beloved professor in the presence of our beloved Savior in the glorious city of God in that heavenly megapolis. And until that day, may we, his students, tirelessly devote ourselves to preaching the gospel to the ministry of holding out the sweet hope of heaven to world-weary pilgrims, just as he did for us. Thank you. Let's conclude our time of devotion this morning by singing hymn 345, Glorious Things of the Earth Spoken. And shall we rise as we sing?
remain standing while we uh, close in prayer and will you knit your hearts together with me as we offer up thanks and our prayers and petitions before our great God. Let us pray. Merciful God, the God and Father of all light and goodness, you are indeed kind and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. Grant, O Lord, in light of these thanksgivings, that we may remember the brevity of life, that we are but flowers that fade away quickly. O Lord, grant that we may live in godly fear all our lives in this pilgrim existence as we look forward to the blessed hope which we know is stored up for us in heaven. O Lord, we ask, O Father, we beseech thee, the Father of all consolation, that you would grant comfort and consolation to those who are sorrowing at this time. We would remember especially grace. Father, we give you uh, great thanks for the life, for the teaching, and the example of Meredith. Raise us up, O oh Lord, we do pray, from the death of sin to the life of righteousness. O oh Lord, that we may too trusting on that one foundation, soon rest in our Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the penalty, pain, work of Jesus. We thank you for his probation keeping. And it's for his name's sake that we do pray. Amen. <laughs>